Hello and welcome to the Starling Podcast, a podcast about how we built Starling Bank, a bank offering a mobile-only bank account. I'm your host, Jason Maud. Today we'll be discussing how we are offering the payment services we provide to our current account customers more widely. I'm joined by Starling COO Julian Sawyer. Hello. And Head of APIs Sam Everington. Hello. Okay, so... First off, first question, what do we mean by payment services? What are we talking about here? So payment services is the provision of banking and payment services to third parties. That could be uh, corporates, it could be government, or it could be other banks and financial institutions that want to make payments in the UK. Okay, and uh, and how, how would they be making payments? What's the mechanism by which they'd be doing that? So the way that we're offering is through our APIs, which Sam will uh, talk about in a moment. But essentially, it is about um, them initiating a payment, going through our infrastructure, and then we send that uh, that payment instruction into the Faster Payments Network. Cool. It's similar to how a consumer would use the Starling app to quickly send a payment to a friend, but if you're a company, you potentially have thousands or tens of thousands to pay every day, and so you need a way to automate this from whatever systems you're using to administer your business. Great. Okay. So, um, a bit of a leading question, but aren't these services already being offered by other banks? In a way, they are, but not in a cost-effective and a customer, uh, a good customer experience perspective. Um, so in Faster Payments, there are 17 other organisations that are part of that uh, group. But there's 400 banks and about 2,000 e-money uh, licence holders in the UK. So all those other companies have to go through one of those 17 banks. Now in the UK, there's about a couple of other banks that are offering these sponsorship services. They tend to offer... Uh, it in batch so they will batch up the payments and then process them so we're the only provider of real-time payments into the faster payments network so everyone else has to go through a process of taking all of their payments putting them into a giant batch of payments correct and then sending them in to to another bank send them traditional bank wait for them to process them and then hopefully get a file back with anything that's come in as well and that Whereas, works the same for receiving payments. So if they were receiving a payment from somebody else in the Faster Payments Network, they would have to wait until that batch gets processed. So if you're a consumer or a customer, uh, sorry, a corporate, then you would be waiting until that uh, those batch payments have been processed. Okay. So um, in order to help speed those things along for people, we're offering a more real-time service. So you can instruct a payment and then it'll go out pretty much instantaneously. Yes, typically in milliseconds we measure it, so hundreds of milliseconds, and we'll be to the scheme confirmed and accepted by the other bank. Great. Fantastic. Um, so is this, how impactful do we think this will be, this this sort of offering that we're giving? Uh, so we've been live for the last three, three to four months. Uh, we've had a phenomenal impact on the industry in terms of people uh, reaching out to us wanting this service. So if you imagine that you are offering a or wanting to offer a real-time service to your customers to send or or receive payments, then you have to have a real-time offering and there is only one which is Starling Bank. So the um, the onboarding process has to be a lot quicker as well. So we will onboard in 8 to 12 weeks for, for customers to come on board, um, whereas our competitors are often taking up to 12 months to go through their internal due diligence and compliance and risk reviews. So again, we've we've changed the onboarding process as well as the uh, customer experience of making the payment. Well, 12 months, that's quite a... yeah quite a length of time to, to wait to make the payments. And then from the integration side as well, we 
provide a full sandbox bank running all the things with a simulation of the past fast payment scheme. So it's much easier to develop and test because they can test with a system that's identical to production. It just doesn't move any money in the real world. Uh, both payments coming in from other banks and payments going out. Uh, so it's made it m- much quicker for people to deliver. We've had people going literally in a couple of days with one engineer and they're connected to the fast payment scheme and processing payments. That's fantastic. Okay, so let's move on to that topic then of the uh, the the technical nuts and bolts of how this works. Um, how does this technically work? How do we allow uh, corporates and uh, other institutions to connect to the faster payment network? Uh, so we've used similar approaches to what other tech companies across the industry use to make any API and service available to, to other companies. So ultimately, we're running some HTTP servers, publishing REST-based resources and talking over JSON. Uh, uh, and they're just running on our servers on the internet and people can connect to them. The difference here is the security model. How do we know that the person making the request is the payment services business we're contracted with? How do we check that they really want to make this movement, that we only received the request once and that we're sending the money to the right place? Uh, and so the time we spent developing this has really been spent on the security model and the uh, what's called idempotency checking, which is a way to replay a message more than once to a system, but actually only instruct the underlying payment to take place once because with a network call, it can go wrong in various places on its way to us and on its way back to the other person to say we've received it. So the idempotent nature of the system means that we can uh, ensure that if an instruction is made twice, the same instruction, that we only actually instruct the payment once. Yes, yeah, we can tell the difference between a, a second request to send a different payment and the same request being received multiple times. Uh, and that just copes with the challenges of the internet and connectivity going up and down. Okay, excellent. So planning for failure, which is something we yes. talked about in the last series and it's, as well. And then we build the same thing for the inbound payments as well. On the, the retail accounts, we offer things called webhooks for our our partners like Tail and Flux and things. So when someone uses their card, they get a webhook, which is our server making a network call to their systems instead to say this card has been used. Uh, and we use exactly that same approach with faster payments. When we receive a faster payment in from the scheme to an account for a payment service client, we'll dispatch a webhook to that client, to their system, to say, here it is. Uh, and again, we've got the same item potency and retry methods in case they're unavailable or we can't reach them at that point to make sure they eventually get told the payment has been received. Okay. Um, so let's go back to the security that you mentioned and the time we spent developing the security model. Um, can you tell us how that works? Maybe not in specifics, but in, <laughs> in general terms, how do we make sure that the people instructing the payments yeah. are the, uh, the, the corporates that we have given access to? Yeah, we, can, we can be reasonably open about how the security model works. I'll, I'll try not to get too technical for it, but uh, effectively we generate public-private key pairs uh, which are used all over the internet to protect things, but the private key is a bit that the payment services partner keeps and they can never show anyone, which effectively they use to sign the request like you signing a thing by hand, but it's mathematically verifiable. Uh, and the really clever part is there's a public key uh, that they can share with us that doesn't that can't be compromised anyway, it can't be used to sign anything, but when we receive something signed by the private key, we can use the public key to mathematically verify that the private key we can't see did indeed generate that signature. Uh, and so we have no way to impersonate that person. Uh, but we know that it definitely came from one of their servers. Right, so we can verify where it came from. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Uh, and so we use a mix of that and then various other bits in term- to prevent the payloads being modified and the headers changing. Uh, and even simple things like uh, the requests are only valid for five seconds either side of the server time. Uh, so they have to sign it and transmit it immediately. Uh, and any old request anyone's managed to intercept and mess around with our system will ignore. 
Right, yeah. And uh, just in case someone's sitting there with a you know, a tap in, in the yep. middle and intercepting messages one side and then reprogramming them out the other. You know. And even then, because of the item potency check, actually, the money will only move once anyway, so even if they did manage to replay it successfully a hundred times. Mm. Right. Excellent. So thinking about a different technical challenge here, when a consumer uh, instructs uh, faster payments, they'll be instructing, say, one or two uh, every day. But a corporate could be conceivably instructing thousands of times a minute. So how do we cope with this increased volume and increased load on our system? Uh, yes, that's definitely something we had to allow for, particularly around days like payday and things, depending on why people are using payment services. There can be a large number of payments coming through our system, uh, more than our consumers generate by bashing their phones quickly and sending their money away. Um, ultimately, the architecture of the system we built to support the bank and scale the bank out to the millions of customers we want to achieve. Uh, allows us to add more servers into any particular system as demand goes up. Uh, and we've taken that same approach with payment services. Uh, we run at least two copies of every service uh, in production at any one time, but we can quickly bring up more because we're entirely cloud-based. Uh, and so we can click a few buttons or indeed our monitoring can detect the system under load and start to bring up more services for us. Uh, so we know we can scale the system because all the machines are identical, they have no state, uh, and we can have as many of them in service as we wish. Uh, obviously, we needed to do some testing to make sure that our system wasn't too slow to respond to these things and can cope with that level of traffic. Uh, so before we launched payment services, we spent a little while running thousands and thousands of requests at our server very quickly. Uh, it can cope with hundreds of thousands of payments an hour. Uh, and we timed them very precisely to see how quickly we respond. Typically, we get back to the payment service client in about 20 milliseconds, and we get the payment through to the scheme in a few hundred milliseconds afterwards. Uh, so we know we can do this because we run at a much higher volume than anyone has come close to talking to it at the moment. Great. So we know we have the capacity available to expand the number yes. of payments we make. And for our consumer accounts, this is great. We made a number of performance improvements after doing this test that means our consumer payments are even faster than they were before. I always enjoy watching people send money from another bank and seeing the Starling app send a push notification to say we've received the money before the other bank's banking webpage has managed to render the confirmation screen. <laughs> That's excellent. Good. Okay, so moving back to you, Julian, a question for you about um, our core business mm -hmm. people would see as being the consumer bank account we offer yep. over the mobile. So we're now expanding into um, this corporate offering. Um, are we stretching ourselves too thin? Are we trying to offer too many things? And are we going to end up doing all of them badly? A uh, simple answer is no, because um, if you look <laughs> that's good to know. <laughs> if you look underneath the current account, what is it? It's a payments engine, so it's money coming in, money going out, and whether that's in and out via Mastercard, backs, or faster payments, we have built that infrastructure. A, as Sam has said, to scale, but also to service our customers. And being directly connected into the payment schemes means that we've got these very large pipes already that are going directly into the pay payment schemes. Um, it also recognises means that we are recognised across the other banks as an equal participant. Um, and that is really important. Both our costs are exactly the same as one of the larger incumbent banks, uh, but also our access into the decision-making process within the payment schemes are also the same. So um, absolutely, we have the capability for doing this, and it's a part of our core part of our uh, consumer current account. Okay, good. So we're, we're offering 
the same functionality. So we're processing this through the the same code, basically? Yes, ultimately the, the connection to the payment schemes and the way the payments come in and out is exactly the same. And at some point the system reaches a decision as to whether it sends a notification to your phone or out to the marketplace partners for the apps you have connected or whether it sends the same workbooks out to the payment services clients. Uh, that was the, really the key here. We We'd effectively built this already to support our mobile apps, which use HTTP-based RESTful resources against our servers in AWS. Uh, and we'd built the sandbox bank and the webhooks and that kind of feature for the marketplace partners we plan to use to offer a richer and more diverse range of services on our consumer account. So there really was very little we needed to build, particularly to make this available to the world. It's worth just explaining a little bit more about what it means to be a member of Faster Payments. It is not a trivial exercise to do. Mm. Um, it takes you know well over a year to, to join the scheme and go through all the accreditation process. You have to engage with the Bank of England to ensure that you've got the right accounts at, at the bank for the collateral and reserves. Um, and you've also got to make sure that you're non-functional testing and you can scale up to, to the right levels. Um, so we were the 13th bank to join Faster Payments. There were the original 10 banks that started about eight, nine years ago. Um, and then they've just started to open up. And there's a handful of banks that have sub subsequently joined. So the entry criteria into faster payments and the other schemes is not a trivial, insignificant uh, exercise. It is a large investment that we've already made, both from a people and a skill set, but also from a technology and infrastructure perspective. Mm. So what we are offering to both our consumers and to our corporate customers is essentially the work we've done in getting connected to faster payments, both from a technical point of view and also from a regulatory point of view. Yes. Correct, yes. And, and business yep. operations as well. These schemes ultimately need money to move. The money doesn't move the second you send it between the banks. Uh, in reality, it settles three times a day on weekdays. And so we have treasury functions to handle that, operation functions to handle disputes with payments and things on these different schemes. Uh, and so all of that that we've built up and tested can be leveraged for the commercial payments as well as the consumer accounts. Great. Good to know. So talking about the the, the money and the movement of the money, um, we're moving money on behalf of people. So um, a, a corporate is paying us uh, some money and then we're moving it on. Uh, how, how do we ring fence that money? How do we make sure that that money is... Uh, is attributed only to the corporate and to the people they're paying. So a payment services client must always pre-fund their account. So they have an account with us and they must always have enough money in there to make the payment. So the first thing when a payment instruction is received from that corporate, um, the first thing that we do is we go and see is there enough money. And if there isn't enough money, we go back to them and say, we can't we can't execute this. So for us, there's no counterparty risk in terms of we're not taking a, a credit risk here at all. If there's money in that account, we will then execute that. Um, and the way that faster payments works with the Bank of England collateral account means that the banking system, the other 17 participants in faster payments, have the assurance that they will get that money at the next uh, settlement cycle, which, as Sam has said, is three times a day. And so there is a it's a circle of trust, effectively, with those other uh, participants to know that they will have the money and the Bank of England will ensure that our collateral account is used in times of difficulty if that occurs. 
So that is the process that is that is used for that, um, for that execution between us and the other banks. In terms of the corporate, there's two ways the corporates can engage with us. One is they can just put enough money in to make the settlement, um, i.e. if they want to make a £10 payment, they need £10 in that account, or that they can open a safeguarding account for us. And that's really important for e-money license holders who need to have a special account, a safeguarding or segregated account, where that money can be stored there uh, and it has a legal obligation both for the money and also the bank. So we can open uh, safeguarding accounts and also settlement accounts for, for our clients. Great. Okay. Um, so now thinking more about um, the future of this and you know where this could go uh, and could end up, what sort of uh, additional enhancements, additional services could we offer to people? We offer faster payments as we've been talking about mainly in this episode, but what else could we offer to our uh, corporate clients? Well, faster payments is where there's a huge market need and there's a way of disrupting that market through our real-time offering. So that became very clearly our first product line. Um, We're also offering backs, so that's direct debits, direct credits in the UK, Um, again, through APIs in in the standard format. Um, And we've also just joined SEPA, which is the single euro payments uh, area, which enables us to do direct debits and direct credits across the whole of Europe. We're running that out of the Central Bank of Ireland as we've passported our banking licence already to Ireland to facilitate that. Um, And later next year, we'll be joining SEPA Instant, which again is the SEPA's equivalent to faster payments. So therefore, we can offer all of those services. Um, We're also a principal member of MasterCard. Um, and so we are offering bin sponsorship services and other card um, services alongside that in due course in 2018. Great. So what sort of technical challenges do we face uh, in offering these new services to our corporate customers? So the challenges will vary by scheme. Faster Payments was a good place to start because Faster Payments is fundamentally a a real-time payment system that works well with our real-time APIs. We send messages to the scheme and asynchronously they send responses that we pass on as webhooks. Uh, Doing something like BAX is a bit more of a challenge. BAX is still based in batch text files, usually in, truncated into rows of 100 or 1,000, depending on the kind of file. Uh, and so as we receive the real-time requests from our clients, because we want to expose consistent modern APIs to them, we're going to have to store up this state and build up these batch files uh, and send them out to the schemes at the right point, and then the following day we'll get the necessary responses and returns from the banks. So the experience won't be quite as quick, because that's how direct debits and direct credits work in the UK. Uh, but we think we can map what we have and the technical approaches we usually take uh, onto that to make it easy to develop against for other people. And we'll worry about all the little tiny codes and the fixed width file formats of direct credit files. Mm. So it's interfacing a sort of modern, restful, real-time API up to an old-fashioned, batched payment file system. Yes, these schemes are not modern. Uh, I enjoyed reading the ISO standard for the MasterCard spec, which is literally as old as me. Uh, And it hasn't really changed much in the intervening years. So although the internet and the computers and the way they communicate has really changed in the last 30 years, um, that's not the case necessarily for some of these payment schemes since we have to map the old and the new world. Yeah. Uh, Whereas faster payments is a much more recent scheme. It works on slightly more modern standards. Uh, and SEPA, which we've talked a little bit about, is quite interesting. It's not something we see much in the UK because we have a really good domestic real-time clearing system. But actually across Europe, it's a, a big deal. And as we expand the current account for consumers uh, into locations like Ireland, as we announced early next year, 
we're going to need the SEPA payments for the consumer accounts. Uh, and so offering that out to the payment services as well as a logical progression for us. Fantastic. Okay, well, thank you very much. That's been a fascinating journey through uh, payment services. If you'd like to know more about Starling Bank, you can follow us on Twitter at Starling Bank and visit our website, starlingbank.com. You can download the Starling Bank app from the iTunes App Store and the Google Play Store.